The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people with vain bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, then salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his fortunes to his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Amen. The idea behind this evening series that we're doing in conjunction with the first John on Sunday morning, as I understood it, is to take a proverb or, or some scripture um, and pick up a thread from that and then find the text uh, relevant uh, in the scripture. And and I, the thread that I found uh, on Resurrection Sunday was mainly from the end of the text in 1 John chapter 2 uh, that, that I read where it says, For all that is in the world, the mm -hmm. desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. That's 1 John 2.16. And I, I believe that uh, describes uh, the person that David describes in Psalm 14, um, the fool. Because it is the fool who desires the world over against the uh, living God. Uh, this, uh, some have called this song, and that's the title of my message this, this um, evening, the creed of the fool. You know, we are a confessional church. We, we try to have confessions of faith that, that mirror what's in the Bible and um, try to um, proclaim that and hope it gets down into our heart and hope it shapes uh, the way we live. Well, those who desire the world and the things in the world are called fools in the scripture. In fact, Psalm 14 is repeated twice in the Psalms. It's almost repeated verbatim in Psalm 53. And it's a principle of Scripture that when something is important, it's repeated. It's repeated for added emphasis. So, uh, with that in mind, give attention to the exposition of, of, of the Word tonight. My first point is just a point to the utter foolishness of saying there is no God. Now, I, I don't think he's talking about atheism as we know it, philosophical 
um, atheism is uh, certainly a, an aspect of this this kind of uh, um, worldview. But this is an unintentional. Um, it's, this is not caring. Someone, someone recently um, talked to me and they thought they had committed the unpardonable sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I said, there's no way you could have committed that sin. Because if you committed that sin, you don't care if you committed it. <laughs> you, you, don't, you have no mindset of, of worrying about offending a holy God. That, this is exactly what is at stake in Psalm 14. The fool says, not verbally, doesn't have a, a written confession of uh, there's no God. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And the heart in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, when the word heart is used, it means the center of being and personality. The very essence of what makes you who you are. And the fool is the one who says, practically speaking, there is no God. Some Bible commentators refer to this as practical atheism. <laughs> there is such a thing. Uh, the practice of atheism is another way to think of it. Of acting and living your life like there is no God. That there is no accountability. There is no right or wrong. And there is uh, only the advancement of one's own self and self-interest that matters. And I would say that that is the description of most of the world that surrounds us, and it is the ruling uh, spirit of our age when this gospel-saturated um, culture we used to live in slowly fades away. And so uh, we, we, can, we can dissect uh, philosophical atheism. That's rather easy to dissect. There is no there's no, really no uh, logical or philosophical grounds to stand on in terms of philosophical atheism. But there is, the, the real danger is this practical atheism that exists that says there is no God. And I am um, one of the popular preachers in our denomination uh, uh, the one of the most endearing, th endearing things he ever said, as far as I'm concerned, is what he would say to young people who would come to him after uh, going off to college or going off in their first career position and, and uh, come back to him afterwards and say, Pastor, I'm having some real doubts about my faith. And he very wisely would always say to them, who are you sleeping with? We cut right to the chase. Because when we abandon this understanding of a righteous God, it ends up uh, giving an excuse to live a life without any uh, accountability uh, to him.
the word fool is Nabal. That's the Hebrew word for fool. Uh, there is in the scripture, first, uh, is it first Samuel 23, am I right? Somewhere in there. Uh, David is running for his life from Saul. He's growing in strength in the wilderness. He's picking up followers, and and he's uh, he is he's so strong that he can ask for help anywhere he goes. And there's one Nabal who dwells uh, with his wife Abigail and has a large estate, and he has he um, has no use for David and won't help at all. And David is incensed, and he tells every man to strap on his sword because they're going to get revenge on Nabal. And Abigail hears of it, and she goes and she pleads with David for mercy for her foolish husband, who would would resist David as uh, in his righteous uh, um, uh, cause. And again, there I think David is a picture, a, a type of the Lord Jesus. There are so many uh, like Nabal who are fools in this world who would who would not uh, give any aid or assistance to the Messiah and uh, to not think of him at all. And their whole heart and mind is to resist him at every turn. The scripture is very clear uh, about what they're like. And it says... Uh, they are corrupt. They do abominable, abominable deeds. There's none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any understand, who understand who seek after God. They all turn aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good. Not even one. Now, if that sounds like it's in another place in the Bible, yes, it's in Psalm 53, but where else is it? It's the Apostle Paul's text for Romans chapter 3, where he says, There's none righteous. There's not one who is righteous. Each one, and he quotes this psalm verbatim. Um, <clears throat> Speaking of the very deep and the very real rebellion that exists, not just in Nabal's, but in everyone. And the result of saying there is no God is they're under judgment. And because they're, they're not only are they under judgment, they act wickedly to God's servants. We uh, are living in a time in my lifetime in this country of, of growing, uh, open, belittling of the gospel and of God's people. Um, just as the Apostle Paul in Romans 3, verse 10, drives home the point that this is the state of mankind, not just uh, fools in the Old Testament, but fools in the New Testament as well. He's driving home the point 
that the state of mankind apart from God is that all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. And it describes uh, how they treat God's people. It says they, they, they eat them up like bread. I, uh, we landed in the plane, on the plane in Atlanta coming back from uh, Israel last week or two weeks ago now. You know, what do you do when you land the plane? You turn your phone on, right? And then you get the news feed. And the first news feed I got was um, Covenant Presbyterian School in Nashville, uh, Tennessee uh, was the scene of a mass murder. And I was shocked. I was sitting next to a couple from Nashville, Tennessee, a godly couple, and they were shocked as well. They knew the school, they knew the church well, and uh, it, it was—it it took our breath away, and it—and it has ever since. And then it shocked me even more when I found out Jeff and Susan's grandchildren, two of them, were at school that day, in that school. And I thought of the uh, young woman who who did this vile act. And I thought, how foolish. This is the very, and where was her hatred? What was the object of our hatred? It should, it was the very people who had loved her well and loved her the most in her life. The very definition of foolishness. Our Lord Jesus told us over and over and over in his earthly ministry, do not be surprised when men revile you, when they hate you, when they do all manner of evil against you, because that's what they did to me. And they're going to treat you exactly like they treated me. Our response to such evil must be response of Jesus who returned love for hatred who hung upon the cross the only perfect man who ever lived the only perfect human being who ever lived who was hung in the most scandalous way punished in the most gruesome way the way reserved for the very worst of criminals in response to those who unjustly murdered him cried out father forgive them and this must be the our heart cry as well Yes, we take prudent measures to protect ourselves, our family, our church. Yes, we use our voice. The Apostle Paul, who was beaten many times for his faith by his own uh, fellow Jews, as well as the Roman government, who experienced such torture, was not afraid to uh, pull out his Roman citizen card and, and put it on the table uh, to escape that beating. We should do the same and we should be careful and we should be glad that we still have the remnants of, of, of a, a uh, republic that was built on uh, the righteousness of, of the gospel. But we must resist any notion 
that we can achieve the righteousness of God with our own revenge, our own efforts. There will be in every generation, even, even David as he experienced the hostility of Saul and the hostility of Nabal and the hostility of later his own son who tried to murder him. In every instance, the response to this to turn it over to God. Uh, never, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, uh, I think it's 13, never take your own revenge, but leave room for the vengeance of God. Give it to the proper authorities, and that will, uh, he will vindicate his people. But the, but the object of that hostility is always the same. It's the fool. They had no knowledge. They don't know God. They don't know his word. They don't know the truth. They don't want to know it. And the result is they eat up God's people like bread. Um, I, I think of so many, so many have taken a stand for righteousness and then have been uh, set aside. Um, I, I think of, of men like John the Baptist. We we went by the, the, we didn't stop there, but we went by. We went near the the castle in um, where he was imprisoned after after uh, announcing uh, after confronting Herod about his adulterous incestuous relationship with his wife and waiting sentence and thought about his his daughter Herodias who came in and made the, the erotic dance and then uh, demanded uh, what do you want? Daughter, I'll give you half my kingdom. Well, she didn't want half the kingdom. She wanted John the Baptist's head on a platter. Think about that. The wickedness of the world and the, and the hostility of the world that is directed against God people, God's people. I know it's small in comparison, but I, 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 I'm a huge Tim Tebow fan. I love, I love that guy. Love his testimony. Um, and to see the way he was mocked and belittled and, and set aside and not given an opportunity. We should not be surprised in these things. These things are becoming more and more the norm. Why? Because we live in a world that is inhabited by foolish people who have said in their heart, there is no God. Jesus made a claim. The world, he said in John 15, verse 18, the world hated me before it hated you. world wants you to go along with it. They want you to laugh at the dirty jokes. They want you to watch the off-color movie. They want you to, to uh, ignore uh, overt evil when it is put in your face. They want you to, to bow down and, and worship what is absolutely decadent. In fact, it will not settle for you simply to tolerate it. It demands you worship We are to remain faithful to God 
and his word in the midst of the hostility of this generation. You see it in verses 5 and 6. We'll, we see the result of what they do. They are in great terror. They're afraid. You realize that that's why the world is so hostile? They're afraid. They're afraid of you when you take a stand for righteousness. They don't know what to do with it. They don't experience that. They're used to people uh, uh, caving and getting in line. The truth is uh, they're terrified at the righteousness of God, which is at work in the life of a believer. And that God is with the generation of the righteous. This is the verse that's different from Psalm 53. I find it extremely interesting. There's only seven, six verses in Psalm 53. There's seven and and uh, seven, uh, six in 53, seven in, in uh, uh, Psalm 14. And here's the addition. You shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. The fool shames the plan of the poor. Isn't that interesting? The, the, in other words, the evildoers, the fool, exploits the poor. It's God's people who help the poor, who see the needy, who see the sick, who see the destitute, who see the people in need, and sacrifice in order to help them. Every institution that exists in our modern society that we take for granted, whether it's medicine or education or our military forces, all, all, all of them were created with the purpose of defending righteousness and truth. And now they've been co-opted. And uh, we're in danger of seeing, seeing them go way over to being one of these oppressive uh, uh, governments as these things uh, become uh, more and more uh, political in nature. It's really stunning at times to see. Um, to the point where we see in the book of Revelation where it ends up. It ends up where you can't buy or sell if you don't have the mark of the beast. Is that a literal tattoo? Is that a literal mark? <clears throat> I, uh, I would dare not venture a guess on that, but I would say it is uh, to have the mark of the fool. To say that I, I will not have God and his son to reign over me, I would, I would rather that be provided by the world. To say that in your heart is to deny the sovereignty of God and his rule over us. Our refuge should not be anything in this world. Our only refuge and our only hope should be the Lord, should be the Lord Jesus. If the word is Yahweh in verse 6. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then this psalm ends with a cry of help. 
Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. Israel means the Old Testament people of God. Zion means uh, the mound of Jerusalem where the temple resided. The salvation of God's people, the Israel of God, which consists of Jew and Gentile, who have called upon the name of the Lord, and now we know who that is, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. That salvation has come. And when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, it says, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. I am convinced more than ever that God is gathering a large number of the Jewish people in the land of Israel for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> the gospel. It was so good to see your dear brother David Zadok and the incredible church he's building right there in the middle of that. It was so uh, inspiring to go to Christ Church in Jerusalem right across from, from Herod's palace. There's this godly Christian church proclaiming the gospel. We even met a Jewish rabbi who had come and put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus there to see that work going. That is how salvation comes to the Israel of God. And we are engrafted, we Gentiles are engrafted into the Israel of God, into that one uh, uh, stump, that one true people of God. And because of that, because of what Jesus, our Messiah, has done, and because of that, tonight, in the midst of a world of fools, a world of hostility, against the gospel and his people let us be glad let us rejoice and be glad for what god has done to save us in the midst of a dark and hostile world to not love the world to not love the things of the world um, but to turn from it to put our hope in the living God through the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this incredible uh, truth that is in this psalm. It's simple. It's hard to listen to. Uh, we, don't, we want everybody to like us, but the Lord Jesus taught us that they're not going to like us. In fact, they're going to hate us because they hated him first. And our response must be, in the midst of the hostility, to, to, to love them uh, as we've been loved unconditionally and, and not take the hatred and the hostility personally, but rather uh, return love and uh, good deeds for evil. And, and Father, demonstrate by our actions and our words how much the gospel changes us. Well, this is how we reach a lost world. This is how we reach foolish people. We were once fools ourselves before we came and put our faith and trust in Christ when we were in rebellion. And you had mercy on us. Thank you that you are a merciful God. 
Fill us with joy and hope. Take away a, a spirit of fear and anxiety. And we, we long for the day that with all the saints, we proclaim your victory that you won for us, Lord Jesus, on the cross and in the resurrection. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.